Well, our last time for this chart. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is a pretty unique book. Uh, a book that has five books in it. <laughs> so, and, uh, more chapters than any other book in the Bible. <laughs> um, and then we um, we suggested possibly some um, the story of the book of Psalms being the story of kingship. Um, where it started with celebrating Israel's king as God's agent. And of course, who was the premier king in that period of time? David. Yeah, David being the one that people would think about. Um, and, and of course, many of those early ones are written by David. Although we've got plenty, even in tonight's, this morning's lesson, that are written by David. But then, as they go through the history, that the, they hit and with Book Three, they hit the end of the monarchy, and you've got these people in captivity, and they're just struggling with, well, how can, you know, how can it, Israel's king be God's agent if there is no king anymore? And so finally, after you know learning the lessons of judgment, we come in the last book, which is the largest of the books, that God is Israel's true king. And so the last book has... I mean, all, all the books have psalms of praise to, to God, but the last one has some real meditations on, you know, on, on some pretty unique characteristics of God, including what we're going to do this morning. Um, we are doing this strange section called the Psalms of Ascent. Now, nobody knows for sure what this means, but I mean, I'm mean, i sure you see each, each of these ones at the top it says, A Song of Ascents. Uh, but the best guess I've heard is that these were psalms that were chanted as the worshippers came up to Jerusalem for one of the major feasts. So you might imagine, you remember that the last trip Jesus took to Jerusalem? From Jericho on to Jerusalem, there was a, a big group of pilgrims. They call them pilgrims that are coming to, to worship. And they might have chanted these as, as they went up the hills and, and headed toward Jerusalem and kind of whiled away the time and, uh, and meditated about what they were going to be doing when they got to Jerusalem and worshiping God. And so last time we started with the first one, which was a, a prayer to be delivered from liars. And uh, this time we continue with um, Psalm 121. The Lord protects Israel. And so in verse 1, where does the author look possibly for his protection? Yeah, look up at the mountains. Mountains surrounded Jerusalem. They would guard, they would, you know, provide protection for Jerusalem. But in verse 2, he decides where does this help really come from? The Lord, yes. The Lord who made heaven and earth. And so in verse 3, He's he's not going to allow your foot to sleep. And the reason is, at the second part of verse 3, what's that? That's the first half. Oh, The second half is, He who keeps you will not slumber. Um, God never sleeps. <laughs> so, you know... 
we can be taken care of by someone that never sleeps. He's always uh, he's always working for on our behalf. One twenty. Um, 122, prayer for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, What was David's attitude when they said, let's go up to the house of the Lord? He was glad, yes. And um, so then what's he wanting to pray for in verse 6? Peace Peace of Jerusalem, yes. Um, And why in verse 9? Yes, it's a, the temple was in Jerusalem. That's 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 what made Jerusalem uh, so important. Uh, One twenty-three prayer for the Lord's help in the presence of scoffers. Um, in verse three, it says we are greatly filled with contempt. People just despise them for worshiping God. Um, our soul is greatly filled with the scoffing of those who are at ease with the contempt of the proud. But in verse 1, the psalmist looks up his eyes to the heavens. He's going to ignore all this contempt, but he puts it as a prayer to God. In 124, praise for rescue from enemies. Um, in verse 2, who was the one that rescued them? Yeah. Yeah, if it hadn't been for the Lord, boy, they would have been terrible. Verse 3, how bad would they have been? Off. They'd been swallowed alive. The enemy was so angry. But, verse 6, blessed be the Lord. Why? Yeah, He hasn't given us into the, to be torn by their teeth. Yeah. And, and in verse 7, He compares their rescue to what? Yeah. Yeah, back in those days, they would they would have these these little nets that they would it set up as a trap, and the bird would land and it would catch it. And I guess every so often a bird might manage to get out, but not very often. And that's that's kind of the way David looks at this. The boy, it just it was what a close call. But our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He says. And then one twenty five, the Lord surrounds and protects His people. Um. And he compares it to what in verse 2? Jerusalem. Yeah, Jerusalem is surrounded by mountains. Mountains, of course, protect a city from invasion, at least it did back in those days. Um, and so the Lord surrounds His people to protect them and guard them from all sides. Now, Psalm 126. This, this is... We, we jump to a new time frame. We've been having David write some of these up to this point. But this one couldn't have been written by David because what's it about? Returning from captivity. Yeah, this this would be seventy after the seventy year captivity in in Babylon, and what do they feel like in verse one when this happened? Yeah, this is just like in a dream, just unheard of. And we've talked about before the fact that in in history, I know of no other nation that has been completely taken captive, completely evacuated from the land, who's ever gone back again. I know of no nation that, that that's ever happened to. Um, and so it was like a dream. Uh, and in verse 2, our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. You'd, you'd have to give praise to the Lord. It can't come from anywhere else. Um, 
But then in verse 4, he says, Restore our captivity, O Lord. So they recognize there's still a ways to go. And we can look at this and compare this to being freed from the captivity of sin. How could anyone ever that goes into sin ever get back out? God is the one that rescues us. And we can also say, restore our captivity because um, as far along as any of us are in the walk of with God, we still have a long ways to go. Alright, 127. Prosperity comes only from the Lord. Um, and I like verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who, who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. The, the world thinks that it's all about human effort. It's all about human skill. And the psalmist recognizes, and this one, this one is written by Solomon, he recognizes that, that this, this actually comes from God. And in, and in verse 3, what, what is the gift of God? Children, yes. Um, and of course, a lot of people are very proud of their children. Um, nothing, nothing wrong with delighting in your children, but when you start thinking that you're the one that gave you your, yourself the children, that's that's a pretty big mistake. One twenty-eight. The person who fears the Lord will be blessed. Um, just to pull out one example, verse three. What does he compare your wife to? A fruitful vine, a fruitful vine. and your children, olive, olive plants. <laughs> Well, if you think about it, in those days, um, vines and olive trees were wealth. That was really, I mean, if you were a farmer, that, that was where it, where, where it was at. So this is just a... I mean, there's a lot of metaphors that come out kind of strange if you're not used to them. Like, we'll get to some in the Song of Solomon when Solomon is praising his wife. <laughs> some of them, we wouldn't want to do that with our wives today. But it worked back then. All right, 129. May the Lord defeat Zion's enemies. Um, and in, in verse 2, many times have they persecuted from my youth up, yet they have not prevailed against me. Who's talking in that verse? Israel's talking. Yes, it's not one person. Um, and then in verse 5, may all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backwards. So that's how you know he's talking about Israel here. Um, 130, prayer for the Lord's forgiveness. Um, and this is a... I don't think this is one of the penitential psalms. I, I forget now. I know their origin, I think, was the guy that originally named these seven psalms as penitential psalms that... This one is, is uh, I, don't, I don't think it's directly a penitential song, but it's obviously to do with sin, but we don't know what the sin is. He just says, you know, out of the depths I have cried to You, O Lord. Um, but he says in verse 3, if You, Lord, should mark iniquities, then what would happen? Yeah. Um, so there's a, a serious recognition here that sin goes very deep. We've seen this in, in other psalms like this. And so he's just waiting on the Lord. Um, and he finally summarizes in verse 8, He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. All of us need God's help in this matter.
All right, continuing with the Psalms of Ascents, 131, childlike trust in the Lord. And um, the psalmist compares himself in verse 2 to what? Yeah, a weaned child, he says. Um, which is, I don't guess any of us can remember back that far, but I'm sure it's a somewhat traumatic time for the child to go from seeking the mother's milk to not being allowed the mother's milk, and you just have to enjoy the mother. You sit in the lap, but you enjoy the mother without getting the milk. Well, in verse 1, the psalmist says, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Um, the, it, we, we all of us need to grow and, and it, it move from thinking it's all about us to recognizing that we're, we're here to delight in God. And pride is the thing that, that takes us away from God. And, and pride is something that is at the root of all of our lives, unfortunately, even after all these times, years that we've been Christians. But when we look back, certainly when we first became a Christian, it was a much more major problem than it is now. At least I would hope it is. Um, and so much of our our thought was about me, 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 and what you know, what what do I need, and what can I get? But we need to grow to this point, just like the weaned child, so that. Uh, it's not all about me, me, me. It's about God. And, and, and so we, we, like the child is sitting in the mother's lap, content, we need to be sitting in God's lap and be content with Him. Alright. Um, 132. Prayer for the Lord's blessing on His temple. Um now, this talks a lot about somebody. It doesn't say he wrote the psalm, but who does it talk about? David. David, yes. And in verse 4, he was so serious that he wanted to build a temple. What was his attitude? He's not even asleep until he finds a place for the Lord, a dwelling place. Um, and um, so the psalm goes on like all about this. Um, and verse 11 is quoted, The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which you will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body I will set upon your throne. Peter quotes that in Acts chapter 2. And that was the Lord's response when David wanted to build the temple. The Lord said, well, I'll build you a house. And then your son is the one who will build me the house. 133. This is the one I think all of us know pretty well. Um, whether we're always able to apply it is another matter, but it is lovely when brothers are united. How behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And what does it say? It's like in verse two. Precious oil, Precious oil that has been poured on the head of Aaron to anoint him as priest runs down uh, on his beard and onto his robes. And of course, we we picture that and. We don't get quite the same, same beautiful picture as what they did. But another one in verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. Um, and in, in a dry climate, which Israel was for the most part a dry climate, the dew was very important. That's how a lot of their plants would get watered. So he's just trying to 
he doesn't really tell us how to solve the problem. How, how are brothers supposed to dwell together in unity? He doesn't tell how. He just says it's really pretty when it, when it happens. Well, basically, he's saying it's an act of God. Well, and that's a good point. It is an act of God. And when, when a church or a family is united, we ought to give thanks to God for that. It is, it is from Him. Alright, a little short one. Not the shortest, but pretty short. Uh, this is the, the last of the songs of ascent. And it's the greetings of the night watchmen in the temple. <laughs> there they are, you know, everyone, all the worshipers have gone home and they're, um, they're greeting them, you know, behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Interesting. And kind of an interesting way to, to end the Psalms of Ascent. If we're right, if, if, if they were chanted as they were coming up to Jerusalem, then you can imagine the last few, they might actually be in Jerusalem, and the final one would be kind of, you know, well, Good night. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> we've arrived. We've been to the temple, and and now the, it's just up to the night watchman to stay up for the night. All right. So we move on to songs that are not of ascent. <laughs> oh, One thirty-five. Praise the Lord for His wonderful works. Um, praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, O servants of the Lord. And in verse 6, one of the reasons to praise the Lord is what? He does what He wants. He does what he wants. <laughs> um, now, when, when, if, if there's a human being that just does whatever he wants, that's probably not a good idea, is it? Um, but in fact, no human being can. I mean, none of us have ever been able to do everything we wanted to do. We always have limitations. And, and and how many times have we tried to do something and set out on a great plan and then it just got thwarted? It's just it wasn't to be. But that never happens with God. He his plans are never thwarted. Whatever he wants to do, he does. He accomplishes it. So praise the Lord. All right, one thirty six. Thanks for the Lord's loving kindness. And this is an interesting song and it has a number of reasons for for, for this. Um, in verse 5, what's the reason? He made the heavens, yes. And then and the next few verses all go give a detail about that. I'm not going to go through that, but you know, sun, moon, stars, all that. Then verse 10 gives another reason. Kill the firstborn of Egypt. Well, of course, that was part of a, a bigger process of rescuing Israel out of Egypt. And, and that covers the next few verses. And then verse 23, another reason. Remembers us in our lowest state. His loving kindness is everlasting. Now, what's, what's probably the most unusual thing about this psalm? <laughs> Line two of every verse is identical. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Wow. If we think about God, the thing I get out of this psalm is that everything God does is a result of his loving kindness. Just and if we could just remember that when bad things happen to us and understand that our God is a God full of loving kindness. And that we're just the only reason we see this thing as being bad is because we don't see the big picture. 
God sees the whole thing and He understands that what's happening to us is still a part of His loving kindness. 137. Now we really change gears here, don't we? This is... This, of course, is very famous because of um, it gets pretty um, graphic. <laughs> um, I hope none of us have ever known the grief as bad as what these people knew. But we understand why were they taken captive? They were sinners, yeah. And even in, in, in the terrible things that were happening to them, God was still showing love to them because. He knew that this was the only way that He could rescue them. They they had to suffer because He tried everything else and nothing had worked. But by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Just imagine if you had been in Jerusalem and the, and the Babylonians had besieged the city and and then they, they had broken in and, and a bunch of your neighbors had gotten killed by with, with the sword and you were one of the few that was picked to live and you were chained up and after... Months of marching, forced marches, you finally got to Babylon where you're going to live for the rest of your life. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. Never will they get to go back. Their descendants might, but they won't. Um, when we remembered Zion, now, it is true there were a few that went back, but very, very few that had seen ever seen Jerusalem before. What did they hang up on the willows in verse 2? Their harps. It's not a time for music. How can they sing and yet their captors? Hey, sing us one of one of the songs. You know, one of your cultural songs. We want to be entertained, and they didn't want to entertain anybody with with sacred songs like this. How can we sing this the Lord's song in a foreign land? Now, the part about this psalm that gives people the most difficulty is the verses eight and nine when he says, "Oh, daughter of Babylon, you devastated one." How blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Now understand, that is exactly what the Babylonians had done to Jerusalem. Um, But still, we read that and we say, is that the attitude a Christian should have? Turn to Isaiah chapter 13. Now Isaiah had been written uh, about a hundred years or so before the, ca- the Babylonian captivity. It was prophecy. Um, and in Isaiah 13, the, the, that's a prophecy against Babylon. It's predicting what Babylon's going to do to the Israelites, and then it's a prophecy predicting what's going to happen to them in judgment for what they've done. And look in verse 16. What's it say is going to happen to them? The little ones we dash to pieces. So the psalmist who's writing Psalm 137 is simply reflecting the fact that God already said what was going to happen to Babylon. And and they're basically saying, Lord, please do what You promised. If it was right for God to, to prophesy that against them in judgment, then it would be right for, for the psalmist to ask God to bring about His, his promise. Yeah, John. A big picture of the Old Testament is God creating a people to, to bear His name. And they prosper when they're righteous uh, and they're punished to bring them back. And Babylon, and that was to be an example to the world, mm-hmm. and Babylon was an example of a very unrighteous people who for uh, a number of generations did do these terrible things. And yeah. righteous God punishes them. That's right. That's exactly right. 
He, God used them to punish His people, but that didn't make it right what they were doing. And so He brings back on them exactly what they've done to others in punishment. And that's to be an example to all people. Yeah. Well, even nations today. I, th- I really think God does the same thing to nations today. If there's a nation that's unrighteous and doing uh, you know, X to, to people, God's going to punish them by having X done to them. <laughs> whatever, that, whatever that blank may be. Yeah, if it were not for the grace of God, it would be a never-ending cycle. But the Bible promises He'll He'll bring it into it at some point. The Book of Revelation goes into that. Yeah, John. Well, and God said that the people would have Canaan only when Canaan entered in the fullness of their evil. So. Uh, yes, the, the tri- we, are, we are given generations after generations to yeah. wake up. To yes, even in Abraham's day, he knew that, that they were going to get that wicked, that he was going to have to punish them by kicking them out of their land, destroying them. But he had to wait until they got to that point. All right, um, 138. Thanks for answered prayer. Um, in verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me. You may be bold with strength in my soul. In verse 6, what does he think is so great about the Lord? He regards the lowly. He regards the lowly, yes. The Lord is very high and exalted, but He regards the lowly. One of the messages we really need to get from the book of Psalms is a twofold message. God is very high and very exalted. And man is absolutely helpless. We see that time and again from one side or the other in these psalms. We cannot do these things ourselves. God is the only one that can help us. 139 is a wonderful psalm. Um, The Lord is everywhere and knows everything. Um, David is just meditating. It just blows his mind. Oh Lord, You have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. Now, when we sit down and when we get up, how important is that? I mean, how many times do we do that in a day and yet God knows every one of these things? But more than that, He knows our thoughts from afar. Even before we think our thoughts, God knows these thoughts. That's just mind-blowing. And then, He suggests in verse 7, where can I go from your Spirit? And of course, what's the answer to that? (laughs) There's nobody. Nowhere. Who was the guy that tried to get away from God? In the Old Testament? Jonah, yeah. That didn't work so hot. <laughs> um, and then he looks in verse 13 and he, and he understands why God is, knows him so well. And why, why is that? God made him, yes. Um, and in verse 14, when he looks at himself, what's he say? He's fearfully and wonderfully made, yes. And... Any of us that have spent any time at all thinking about how well our bodies are put together have to be impressed with the wisdom of the Creator. It's just, it's just astonishing. Um, and then finally in verse 23, he, he draws a spiritual conclusion here. What's he asked God to do? He had to know his heart. And in verse 24, what if he finds problems there? Yeah, lead me in the everlasting way. Um, 
So he's not just contemplating how great God is, but he's contemplating what his obligation is with regard to that, and he needs God's help to change and become like God wants him to be. All right, 140 is prayer for rescue from evil men. Um, we've had a number of, of psalms like this before, but I'll just mention that verse 3 is quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 3 uh, when he talks about they sharpen their tongues as a serpent and poison of a viper is under their lips. In, in Romans 3, Paul is trying to prove that all men are wicked. And he quotes from uh, this psalm of David to, to help prove that. 141, prayer for protection from temptation. Now this is an interesting one because in, in the one before, the enemy was just attacking David and it was just terrible. Um, but now the, there's still the enemy, but the enemy wants to seduce David. Um, and so he says in verse 4, do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity and do not let me eat of their delicacies. There's more than one way that the enemy can overcome us. Uh, in, in, in the previous psalm, the enemy is coming out after him with swords. In, in, in this one, the enemy is coming to him with you know, gifts and attractions. Oh, this is just a wonderful life. Um, but in verse 9, what's he say? Yeah, they've set a trap. And we have to understand that some of our friends in the world are actually just setting traps for us. It looks so beautiful, but it's terrible. From the snares of those who do iniquity. And I'll mention that verse 2 of this psalm is referenced in Revelation. I say reference because Revelation never directly quotes. But may my prayer be counted as incense before you. And the, the book of Revelation comes at it from the opposite direction. It comes at it from the incense first. That there are bowls of incense, and they, in, in the book of Revelation, the bowls of incense are the what? The prayers of the saints. Yes, and this is where that comes from um, in the Old Testament. One forty-two, a prayer for help. Um, verse four. He looks to see, and where is he going to find help? It looks pretty bad, doesn't it? No help. But, verse 5, where does he get the help from? Yeah, I cried to the Lord. You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Um. Alright, Psalm 143. Prayer for deliverance from the enemy. Um. And one thing I found noteworthy was verse 2. Um, Do not enter into judgment with your servant. Why? No one is righteous. And we need to understand that. I mean, David is a, was a godly man. He was a man after God's own heart. Um, yet he's, he's looking at himself in the present. Not just in the past, but in the present. No, In God's sight, no one living is righteous. And we need to recognize that of ourselves today. Um, that doesn't mean that that doesn't give us an excuse to do it, you know, whatever we want. We, we need to, we obviously need to work as hard as we can to please God. But there, at no time in our lives can we sit back and say, ah, God will look at me and He'll say, you're righteous. There's only one reason any of us can be righteous. And that's because of the blood of Jesus. 
and, and I, I understand that a lot of Christians, when they first start out as Christians, they think of they think of being baptized as well. That forgives me all of my past sins. Now it's up to me not to do any more. And they kind of think that if they do any more, then somehow, well, what what do I do now? Because I can't get baptized again. And, and this is a totally misguided understanding of our relationship with God. Um, to think that anyone from the time he's going to be baptized for the rest of his life is not going to commit sins. None of us are righteous in the sight of God. Um, and so David understands that and wants God to know the, uh, he, that he understands that and, and wants God to hear his prayer and not enter into him with judgment because of his, his evil deeds. So in verse 8, let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. And that needs to be our attitude. Um, whether, we're, whether we're praying for help, as David was at this time, or, or some other need, but always, God, show us the way we should walk, because we lift up our souls to Him. 144, confidence that the Lord will rescue and bless us. Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Um, we've had before where you know, the, the race is not to the swift or the battles are the strong. Um, and David again is recognizing that although he's a great, courageous warrior, it's only because God trained him for that. It's not something that he invented himself. Um, so in verse 7, what does he ask? <clears throat> And rescue me and deliver me out of great waters, out of the hand of aliens. Yeah. And then in verse nine, it sounds like he's been rescued. So what does he want to do? Sing a new song to God. He's going to. And and again, it's a very human characteristic. As soon as we're rescued from one problem, to to forget about that and just look to the future. David understands that he has an obligation to give thanks to God. And verse ten, who gives salvation to kings, who rescues David his servant from the evil sword. 145. Um, Praise the Lord for His goodness. Um, In verse 3, Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Um, Just, we can never plumb the depths of the greatness of God. So in verse 5, what does the psalmist do? He meditates. He meditates about God and about His greatness. Um, and so in verse 9, he, he, one of the things he comes up with is what? He's good. His mercies are over all His works. Very important for us to realize we are a work of God. And God has mercy on His works. Um, verse 14, one other great thing about God. Yeah, he raises up all who are bowed down. He sustains all who fall. Um, and verse 18? Yeah. Near to all who call upon Him. Yeah. Near to all who call upon Him in truth. And so finally, verse 21, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless His holy name forever and ever. Now, with 146, we begin the final we could almost call it the sprint to the end, but this final section of Psalms 
which all have something in common. What's the first phrase of this Psalm 146? And what's the last phrase? And for 147? <laughs> all the way to the end. Every one of them is going to start and end with praise the Lord. So they're all tied together in that sense. So 146 is trust in the Lord who is able to help. So trust in the Lord as opposed to in verse 3? Princes. princes, yeah. In mortal man. Because why in verse 4? No. Yeah, he dies, yeah. Why trust in somebody that's not going to be here forever? Trust in God that's going to be here forever and ever. So in verse 5, how blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob? And verse 6, what do we know about him? He made everything and he keeps faith forever. And I'll mention verse 6. Paul quotes this in, in Acts 14, verse 15. The one who the God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. Um, this was a, a, in the time you might remember when um, the uh, people, I forget what town it was, they, they were going to offer sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas because they thought they were gods. And so <coughs> Paul's trying to tell them, no, no, worship the God that made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. Okay. 147. Praise to the Lord who takes care of His people. Um, verse 10. What does God not delight in? Strength. Strength, yes. Or the legs of a man. But instead, what does He favor? Yeah. And again, this is a danger for us. We can have the attitude of, you know, I'm, I've got these great talents. I'm really useful to God. And sometimes we can look at others in the church and we can say, wow, you know, um, sure, I'm glad we got so and so. But that's not the way God looks at it. Um, I mean, God's the one that gives people strength anyway. Why would He look at this strength and say, wow, you know, I'm sure I'm glad I got Him? Um, what God wants is someone that fears Him. Doesn't matter whether the person is strong or weak, if they fear him, God can make, make something of them. And so in verse 20, he says, He has not dealt thus with any nation, and as for his ordinances, they have not known them. And and the psalmist just is just amazed. Here we are, the only nation on earth that, that has been given to know God. And uh, Paul refers to this in the book of Romans when he talks about the, the benefits to the Jews. Alright, 148. May the whole creation praise the Lord. And instead of pulling out some verses from this psalm, we're going to sing this in the next hour. Um, praise the Lord, ye heavens adore Him. It comes right out of this, um, this psalm. And so, 149. May Israel praise the Lord. Um... And this is just such a happy psalm. Uh, so happy in verse 3. How are they going to praise His name? With dancing, with singing, with the timbrel, with a lot of those are instruments that they had. Um, and why in verse 4? Yeah, what a, isn't that a great reason to be happy? 
Because the Lord's happy with us. <laughs> and we just, we just jump around with, with joy. It's just so exciting. Um, and then finally, the last one. 150. Praise the Lord. I don't know what, how else to title it because it's just praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty expanse. I mean, just over and over. This, this is intended to be the climax of the whole book. It's you know, this final psalm. We began the book with the, the first psalm was not actually about God. What was the first psalm about? The righteous person, yes. The person that, that um, fears God. It's what we call a wisdom psalm. Uh, but as we've been going through the psalms, we've, we've had lots and lots of psalms of praise to God, reasons for the righteous person to fear God. And then it finally ends up, as, as we saw when we were looking at our outline at the beginning, God is Israel's King. And, and they praise Him for that. Any last questions or thoughts on the book of Psalms? Yeah, John. Uh, I'm doing the Lord's Supper today, so I'm thinking about you know, Jesus, our salvation in Jesus. A number of these uh, Psalms refer to salvation. And they have a picture of, of uh, the people being taken out of Egypt. They have a picture of the people being brought back from Babylon. But, but of course, they don't have anything really specific about what we understand of our salvation through Jesus. But they have faith. Yeah. yeah. And that's an important point. And we need to understand that to some extent, even in the Gospels, the, the Jews understood salvation to mean the physical deliverance that you see in the Old Testament. That they were looking forward to God saving them from Rome, from Roman rule. Um, and um, it was quite a mind changer for them to understand that what they really needed to be saved from was themselves, <laughs> their own sins, their own pride. Um, and of course now after 2,000 years we've been reading it so much that salvation is salvation for our sins that even when we read in the Old Testament salvation we, we naturally think that. And, and, and it's true that even the Psalms that were written about physical salvation can be applied spiritually to spiritual salvation. But if you want to understand what they what they originally were thinking about when they talked about salvation in the Old Testament, typically it was salvation from some enemy, you know, the Babylonians or something else like that. Yeah, yeah, in Psalm 139, the first of it was this joyful part. The second part is the vengeance and the punishment and the judgment. You know, but then he has, this is an honor to all his God. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know whether people can hear that in the back, but she what she's she's pointing out to Psalm one forty nine, uh, verse nine, when he says to execute on them the judgment written, this is an honor for all his godly ones. And what she's saying is that when God punishes sinners, it's an honor he's giving to his godly ones. Um, he, he's he's showing he's putting a stamp of approval on the behavior of the godly people. Good thoughts, yeah, John. Uh, the, again, one forty-nine at the end of uh, 
verse 4. He's talking about his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. We can see from our point of view, the affliction is sin. Yes, that's right. Yeah, from our point of view, the affliction is sin, and the beauty is the beauty of righteousness. Yes. Good. Any other thoughts? Well, we finished the biggest book in the Bible here, didn't we? All right, next week we're going to start the book of Proverbs. Appreciate everyone's help. Right on time. Yeah, right. Yeah. It blows my mind. Let's make it too expanded with pride, but it's <laughs> <laughs>